Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. We've got a couple couple things going on on this show today. I'm joined right now, as usual, by David Simone. And then we've got a, a, a rookie appearance, a, a debut appearance on the BCJ podcast from my guy, Brent Young, who has been doing an excellent job here covering football, football recruiting, basketball, uh, kind of been a jack of all trades for us, and we are gonna get his va- maiden voyage on the BCJ podcast. Dave is uh, Dave. Dave, you're a very busy guy now with a a child around the holidays. I can tell you, it's not fun. It's not. Fun. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking uh, going on tonight, and ended up canceling that. But yeah, we'll we'll see how how Brent does, and maybe we'll we'll invite him back again next week. We'll see. It's it's a test run. <laughs> now, Brent, Brent has uh, has been doing lots of uh, audio work in the uh, Indianapolis area, and I think he'll be fine. But we will uh, we will get to that here shortly. But first, it is the final game of the regular season. It is on the road, so that means we will be at Taft's Brewporium. I will be at Taft's Brewporium. Dave will not be. He is not allowed, as everybody knows. So uh, come out and join us. It is the last chance for you to get, once Cincinnati scores a touchdown to the end of the game, you get $3 or half price pints uh, the entire game after Cincinnati scores their first touchdown. Uh, it was a, That was a, a phenomenal deal against ECU. Not as great a deal against USF because they didn't score until the second <laughs> half. It's a good deal for them. They, they finally, yeah. uh, they finally caught up, maybe. But that deal is, uh, we will, we will still uh, be partnering with Tafts for the bowl game and for the AAC title game uh, if it's on the road. But that deal is out the door on Friday, so you know you're going to be sick of family. You're going to want to be by yourself, or you're going to want to be with your buddies. And what better place to do that than Tafts to watch the game 3.30 Friday, Bearcats in Memphis. Everybody, your 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 significant others might be out shopping. Or if you are the significant other and you don't want to shop and you're, you'd rather watch the Bearcats, come out and join us. We're, we're open to all. Bring the kids. Let the kids run around. Uh, it's a good place to tire the kids out on a Friday afternoon. So... Come out and join us, Bearcats, as they hit the road for the final game of the regular season. Your Eastern Division champion, Cincinnati Bearcats, Dave. How's that sound? That's right. First time. That's great. Sounds pretty good. Ten ten and one. I mean, it's been been an interesting last couple weeks, but, I mean, I'll gladly, gladly take it. And the answer to the question, would Cincinnati fail to match their regular season record from a year ago? No. Because worst case scenario, they're going to be 10-2. And And they were 10-2 a year ago to end the regular season. This time, they're going to have an extra game playing in the American Athletic Conference Championship. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. And how we're going to navigate that situation once we find out where the location is going to be 
with kickoff at 3.30 for the American Athletic Conference Championship and the Crosstown Shootout at 5. Uh, that's going to be... It's going to be an interesting day in Cincinnati. A lot of a lot of different ways that can go. I mean, not to me, but I know. Like they need kind to know um, right now, but they need to 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 just put the crosstown shootout on at Nippert Stadium while they're hosting the American Athletic Conference Championship. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'll do that. Why? I mean, why not? Why would Why would you not? You got a giant video board. You could use some yeah. of it to broadcast the basketball game, right? Sure. I don't know how that works, but uh, somehow, or put a TV above, or put a, a giant screen above the student section. Yes, right. with all of our extra AAC TV contract money. Yeah, absolutely. That we just have laying around in Linder Center. <laughs> all right, let's uh, briefly. We we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Dave is with me for a half hour. Then Brent is going to be on for the second half of the show to talk basketball. Um, let's get right to the Temple game. Cincinnati hangs on to win 15-13. Big play of the game. A, a blocked extra point. I thought they're crediting it to Lorenz Metz. I thought Elijah Ponder also got a finger on it. Um, but Metz gets the credit. Kobe Bryant with the scoop and score from 95 yards away. Turns a six-point game into a nine-point game. They needed all of those points uh, as they hung on to win 15-13. Once again, it wasn't pretty. Uh, we will have plenty to talk about on the quarterback situation once we uh, we briefly move through the Temple game. Dave, once again for this team, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a work of art. It's not hanging in a museum the the picture of this game, but the Bearcats figure out a way. Uh, they they did a, a, a great job, I thought, of mixing up their defensive fronts. They showed three three five. They showed nickel four two. Um, they showed a single high safety look out of a base four three formation, which is what I was talking about on the pod last week uh, when I said I think there would be a, a little bit of a wrinkle. If you don't know what that means, that's four down linemen, three linebackers, and instead of two corners and two safeties, you take one safety off the field, leaving a, a single safety and then three corners. Uh, so it's kind of like a hybrid nickel. It's kind of a hybrid of all of the other things. Uh, but it, it once again shows Marcus Freeman is willing to dig into that bag of tricks and come up with just about anything to keep a defense or keep an offense off balance until the final two drives. Temple was never really able to get anything going. And uh, defense and special teams dominated the day. The offense did just enough behind, once again, Michael Warren. And Cincinnati clinches the Eastern Division of the American Athletic Conference. Yes, and I agree with your take on all of that. I was I was happy to see some, some different uh, different things out of the defense. I thought that kind of I don't know if it threw them, but to me at least, the first half they were much more pass happy than I expected. I think Russo ended up throwing the ball twenty four times. Just in the first half, it seemed like they went away from the run a lot and then kind of came back to it in the second half. I feel like when our offense struggled and I feel like the defense got a little worn down and they were able to kind of put those couple drives together. But, yeah, I mean, we're you'd like to say that, you know, they're just finding ways to win and 
they, they certainly are to some extent, but I think the last two weeks has become more and more just kind of luck, really. I mean, I was thinking about the blocked extra point with all the touchdowns that are scored in college football. I was wondering, have there been five blocked extra points all year? Probably not. And, it's not something you and, ever see. And if there were five, and if there were five, or any of them returned, like you would think, you would see that on a highlight reel or on a Twitter or something, if it had happened. So, like for that to happen and be the deciding factor, pretty. I mean, obviously, one play never decides a game, but you know, it was a major, major, major part of them winning. It's like. You can only really kind of chalk that up to to dumb luck almost. And, you know, going back to the USF game before this goal, it's cause for concern from an offensive standpoint. Um, but I thought they did. I thought Darius Harper until towards the end, I thought he did a pretty darn good job on Quincy Roche. He did end up, I think, with two sacks and maybe a couple pressures, but it was not. One and a half sacks officially. One and a half. It was not a glaring situation that I think maybe we feared. So I think he, you know, he deserves some credit for that, Um, especially in the first half. Like I don't remember his name getting called in the first half at all. Um, So I wanted to definitely give him some recognition for that. But you know, we're we're to the point now where you know you can tell that. There obviously is a lot of trust in Des Ritter. He's got an exceptional record. I think Dan Hoare tweeted it. He's twenty and three as, a, as like a full time starter. Twenty and three as He's a starter, obviously... and then you have the the UCLA game. He didn't start, right. but they won. He's obviously got the trust of his teammates, the trust of the coaching staff. But the numbers are the numbers, and over the last two weeks. 18 for 43, 140 yards total, no touchdowns, one interception. And we can speculate how injured. Um, we don't really know. But, you know, they're, it's not like they're they're hiding it. I mean, he, Coach Fickles talked about how he's been dinged up and didn't practice much last week and, and got better as the week went on. And it's just kind of to the point now where it's like, if you want to take that next step, and challenge a team like Memphis to, the, to possibly win and host the conference, what we're seeing is not going to get it done. And maybe he practices all week See, and feels time much out, better. Time out, time out, time out, I, yeah. I, I don't like stating his opinion, opinion as fact. We don't know that. Maybe it does get it done. Okay. My opinion is that it wouldn't. It, it it makes it, it will in fact make it very difficult to beat Memphis if they're one dimensional. I will give you that, but people have been saying for weeks that's not going to beat so and so. That's not going to be enough to beat. So, that's not going to be enough to beat Temple, and they continue well, to do it. But right? Temple's offense and Memphis's offense aren't even in the same stratosphere. Temple beat Memphis. They did, and they scored thirty points to do it. And and we saw them not be able to score on Cincinnati. Like I, I just don't buy that. Like there's no way that it happens. 
I'm not saying there's no way, but I'm looking at the you last said it's two weeks. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. If I, if I was going to place money on the money line, that if we got another nine for 24 for 75 yards, I would feel pretty confident that they were not going to win the game. Okay, but we we'll we'll get into the quarterback stuff. We'll get into it in a little bit. The Temple game. <laughs> Uh, they, yes, they, they managed to do once again, just enough to make it happen. And at this point, like that's who they are. That's what they did against UCF. It's what they did against UCLA. It's kind of what they did against Miami until they pulled away late. Like the only two times that, that, that three, there's three times this year out of 11 games, Ohio state Marshall and redacted. Every other game, this is who this team is. So, with Dez, without Dez, whatever the case may be, yeah, Memphis is good. Memphis has got some flaws that I think people just want to overlook. Is it going to be difficult to slow them down on their home turf? Yeah, it's also supposed to be a nasty day, uh, at least as the the forecast is projecting now, with rain and thunderstorms uh, in the Memphis area on Black Friday. Uh, I think that would slow Memphis down considerably. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's, it's people are too quickly to, to write off saying this team's not going to be able to muck it up and, and win another close game because Memphis, yeah, they're, Memphis is very good. They're very fast, I, and, and we'll get to them in a little bit. I, I, that's not to take any, anything away from Memphis, but they've lost twice. And no, they've lost once. Or they've, they've lost once. They should have lost against Tulsa. They lost to Temple. They should have lost to Tulsa. Cincinnati beat both of those teams. It is not out of the realm of possibility. For at Cincinnati, as currently constructed, even with Des not playing well, that they could hang in and have a chance to beat Memphis. Now, let's go ahead and get to it. That's what everybody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear about the Temple game. Uh, nobody wants to hear about... Anything else right now? Everybody wants to talk about the quarterback situation. So well, I don't want to talk about the Temple game either because it was boring. It was boring. <laughs> so let's talk about the quarterback situation. Um, I think what we have seen is a coaching staff that has a loyalty to their starting quarterback that has basically been the, the guy under center for outside of um, – two drives in the opening game of his first year. And then the bowl game last year, uh, Desmond Ritter has pretty much been under center for every meaningful snap as this team has gone 21 and three since the start of the 2018 season. The question becomes how much rope does that buy you? And how does the coaching staff decide to handle this kind of a game in hand situation? Because it's not a throwaway. There is a lot still on the line at Memphis this weekend. Because if you win, you're going to host the American Conference Championship. As we know, Cincinnati is a much better team at home than they are on the road. And if you lose, the odds become pretty slim that even if you win the American Conference Championship the following week, that you're going to go to the Cotton Bowl. You would need Boise State to lose, uh, and you would probably need Appalachian State to lose. 
So the coaching staff has a very interesting situation, a, a, a very interesting decision to make here, Dave. Luke Fickle told us today at his weekly press conference that Des Ritter did not really start throwing last week until Thursday. Um, did not throw last Tuesday at practice, was limited Wednesday, finally came back uh, to normal on Thursday. He said he did throw yesterday at practice. Um, no word on today. But ultimately, you haven't gotten enough out of the passing game. And, 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 and when I say they could still win the way that they've done it, let's make no mistake – it's much easier to win when you throw for more than 100 yards passing. And they have not done yeah, that two weeks in a row. Here's, here's just one, and this is just one number, and I mention S&P Plus a lot, but I think that that's a pretty good indication of what teams are. It's opponent-adjusted. It's a huge formula that I don't even know how they come up with. But after the ECU game, UC's offensive efficiency was 56th in the country. It went up to 48th when they played UConn, dropped to 52nd after the USF game, and is now 69th. So nice. That yes, nice for sure, but not nice because a 17 spot drop in one week is virtually unheard of. (laughs) Really hard to do. Because I follow this stuff on a weekly basis. It takes a lot to move that much. And it even takes a lot to move 13 spots in four games. Yeah, I mean, it and, wasn't, the, the offense has been bad. Like, there's, it is what it is at this point in time. It's not been good by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So. so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, if Des, you know, if you don't feel that he can be, I won't say 100% because we're in week whatever, hardly anybody's 100%, but if you don't feel he can be significantly better than what we've seen the last two weeks, are you doing the team, the other however many guys, at this service, are you and are you really putting the best, putting the team in the best place to win a game like this? If he's not, if he's in the same condition that basically that he's been the last two weeks, I think that's fair. I think the other question becomes: Do you look at this and say, what we really want here is to be the AAC champion? And maybe if you feel like Des is your best your best avenue to get that, would you take a look at sitting him this week to get as close to healthy, you know, not throwing in practice and then not putting any extra, you know, strain on that shoulder for a week? Would you go that route? Do you Do you try to get the home game? Because I think that, like, I think that's pretty important here, right? Uh, being able to play I, I, at home. Just from my standpoint, this is just me. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. But just from I'm trying to win the game. 
You're playing to win win. the game. It's a silly cliche, but like, and I'm playing whoever I feel gives me the best chance to win that particular game. Not who gives me the best chance to then turn around and win the game in two weeks or be the starting quarterback next year or in a ball game. I'm just talking right here, right now, because they they accomplished the goal of winning their side of the conference. And we could all say, and I'm guilty of it myself, oh my, man, he was so bad in the first half, why don't you just put Ben in? Well, because you were winning, and if you didn't put Ben in and you, had, and you had lost, then we would have had all sorts of crap to deal with. Not we personally, but them. But imagine that situation. So, yes, he is not playing well. He is compromised. But they have won the last two games that they absolutely had to win to now get in this position. So now, to me, personally, my thinking changes to what gives us the best chance to win Friday. If it's Dez, then you play Dez. If it's Ben, then you should play Ben. But for that specific game, with what's on the line and what you can still accomplish – with, the, with knowing the fact of that it doesn't necessarily, like, ruin, you know, if you lose to South Florida or you lose to Temple, quote-unquote, the season's over. The season's not over. I mean, they lose to Memphis. Memphis is a good team. We, we, said, we both said Memphis was going to win the conference in August. We both picked Memphis to beat UC in August. So nothing's changed in that regard. Yeah. So I'm look, I'm looking at it as who gives me just like I would look at other positions, you know, if an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or a defensive back has two terrible weeks in a row, whether it's because they're just not playing well or they're injured and they're trying to gut it out, we wouldn't question or we wouldn't think twice about making a change in those areas. So for this particular week, all I care about is what guy gives me the Bearcats the best chance to win. And it could be Dez, and he could play just like he played last two weeks, and we could lose by a lot. Or it could be Ben, and he might throw four interceptions, and we could lose by a lot. Because he's new, and it's a, the situation, just he's just not ready for it. We don't know. But that's what they are tasked to do as coaches, and I think they owe it to all the other players to play whoever – they feel gives them the best chance to win. Who would you play? I would play Ben because I don't think Dez's arm will be to the point where, and I'm not saying he goes out there and throws for, you know, throws 65%, throws for 300 yards, but I mean, there's got to be some semblance of a passing game or a threat of, like, in the second half last week, Temple knew that we weren't going to throw. So not only did we not throw, we're, there's no threat of throwing right now. Yeah, and I think everything is off. There were drops. Right, I, and I, that I, has to do with him missing practice time, with him being injured and him not delivering the ball probably where he expects it or where the receivers expect it. And the whole thing is is, is off right now. It's not all just him. I mean, let's, let's not let's – not, cast all the blame on him. And there were plenty of 
more than catchable passes that were dropped. So the timing of everything is off right now. Period. That's I yeah, it is for sure. So you know, I'm I would play Ben just because he at the very worst, Memphis can't go, okay, well, this guy that we know is not hundred percent healthy and who has completed forty something percent of his passes, he's not playing. So we have to at least somewhat prepare for a legitimate down the field passing game. Yeah. I think the the key is it's a short week. You take these next, you know, today, tomorrow, and you find out, Des, can can you push the ball down the field? And if you can't push the ball down the field, I think you've got a, a, a not-so-tough decision to make. Because I, my, I think at other... that point in time, you, you, you have to say, we got to give Ben a shot here and, and maybe get you rested up and get you ready for the conference title game. Right. And my other slight concern is you can't, you can't prepare with a what if scenario, but you know that he hasn't been right for two weeks. If he takes all the first team reps and gets hurt, you kind of screwed yourself. Yeah, you have. I mean, you can't say, well, you know, what What if he gets hurt? I'm just saying because he has been injured, it's, I mean, he was getting ice on his shoulder in between drives in the second half. Right. So it, it, this isn't just like, um, you know, I woke up and my arm felt a little weird. Like, there, whether it's 100%, 10%, you know, that's all speculation. We'll, we'll never know. But you you can't, it's like you can't, put him out there in that sense and not be prepared to where if he gets hit or he falls or his shoulder gets moved weird, then then the backup, the guy that's coming in now, hasn't taken any reps all week. Well, we know Ben has taken a lot of reps, especially last week um, because Dez was limited. I would imagine, even if Dez is practicing this week, you're not having him out there taking first team like extended reps. You know right. What I mean? Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely probably more 50, 50 than, than usual. Than but 70, 30 taking, like it is usual. I want him taking as many as possible. That's just yeah. me. <laughs> well, and if you're trying to rest as a shoulder, you're, right. you might not even be putting him out, putting him out there for 50%. Um, so like then, said, you're, a, then you're putting it, then you're putting a quarterback out there on Friday. He, been work hasn't been taking as many reps because you're trying to get him healthy. It just it doesn't. I don't know. To me, it's not worth it for this one game. Like I, I feel that you know that's the that's the play is to start then. Yeah, I, I will say my default setting is that Luke Fickle believes Des Ritter gives him the best chance to win. Um, I, I, I think that is a long-term belief. I, I, I do believe there have been serious discussions both at halftime of the South Florida game and leading up to the Temple game about does Des need to be held out because of his injuries. And 
I, you have to believe in at least some capacity those conversations have continued. Uh, although Fickle says, you know, he's, he's got Dez is his guy and he's got full belief in him and he fully expects him to go. Um, coaching staffs talk. That's what they do. The decisions are made. So we'll see. I, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, it, it's since, you know, we'll, we'll throw out the four and eight year because that was just a, a train wreck. But since this thing has been on an upswing, this is the first real, like, adversity or, you know, stuff that the, the, the fan base is really questioning or um, what phrase am I looking for here? No, I know what you're saying, but I mean, I totally agree with Coach in that regard. Like, I think under normal circumstances, Dez does give them the best chance to win. Like, even when he was not had, even in midseason, when he wasn't injured, but he just it just wasn't, you know, going the way we probably thought or wasn't progressing from last year to this year. I never once questioned that he didn't give them the best chance to win. I just think that's changed now due to his injury and his, his current health status. Like, I don't think a whatever, we'll just throw out a 50% Des Ritter gives them a better chance to beat Memphis than Ben Bryant. Yeah, and it's tough because the, the one thing that makes this difficult is we've not seen Ben Bryant in any meaningful snaps. Right. So you're putting a guy against the number, you know, hypothetically, if they make this decision, this is what they have to consider. You're putting a guy that hasn't taken any meaningful snaps into, for Memphis, this game means everything. Just the biggest game of the year for them. Because if they lose and Navy beats SMU, Navy wins the West. No, Navy plays Houston, so they're winning. Yeah. If Navy (laughs) takes out Houston then Navy wins. If Cincinnati wins, Navy wins. It's Cincinnati hosting Navy yes. for the conference title. That there's, is a there's tough three, spot. There's three scenarios. Yes, that is a tough spot to put a redshirt freshman quarterback into. But one could say the third series of the season in the Rose Bowl was a pretty tough spot as well in 2018. It was, and I could all, and these are, you know, I don't want to compare the players. I'm going to compare the situations. Nick Saban put two in the national championship game at halftime. Davo Sweeney benched, benched Kelly Bryant for Trevor Lawrence. Now, they're not the same players, but the situations are similar. In a one-game situation that you're trying to win – Jalen Hurts was not going to win that game for Alabama. He wasn't. Maybe Tua wasn't either. But Jalen Hurts was not going to win the game. So Saban was like, all right, let's see if this guy can win the game. And that's kind of where where I'm at. All right. Let's, uh, let's, we're, we're running out of time here. We went long as uh, normal. (laughs) Um, Maybe, you know what? I'm going to make an executive decision here. We're going to push Brent back about 10 minutes um, because this is a holiday edition. So people are going to be traveling. They are. That's what I was going to say. There was a lot of football stuff to talk about. There was a lot of that. And we still haven't gotten to talking about Memphis, who is very good. 
So let's talk about Memphis. Let's they talk a, about Memphis. They have an excellent running back. They've got an excellent receiving core. They are fast. They are built like an SEC team. They're very strong along the defensive line. They're a problem. They are a big-time problem. Yeah, I mean, if you just go by S&P Plus, they are 13th overall, 7th offensively, 35th defensively, and 3rd on special teams. Um, you know, I could start hitting them. Offensively, Brady White, he's – I every time I watch, I feel like he's – like he's – not playing that great, but then I look at his numbers. He's a 67% passer and he's thrown 30 touchdowns to only seven interceptions. But, you know, the storyline this year for them has been Richard Fisher running back Kenneth Gainwell. Just a, has been a monster. He shouldn't even be starting. That's how good they are running back Patrick Taylor, who had a monster second half of last year, was projected to be their starter has been ill, just recently came back the last three games, and he's back. Well, you know, Gainwell rushed for 1,300 yards, 6.8 yards to carry. Yes, he's cut 38 passes. The guy that just came really back scored three touchdowns last week, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, they got a couple really good wide receivers, one of which they also line up at running back in the near. Mike Norvell is in a very, very creative offense. I mean, they are a playmaker's offense. They are... We are getting the ball in these guys' hands however we have to, whether it's kick returns, putting wide receivers at running backs, throwing the ball to Greenwell. Um, they got a pretty good tight end in Joey Magnifico. Fun one to say. Magnifico. But, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that – and this kind of also plays into my what, – what I would do in starting Ben Bryant is their one – Glaring weakness on defense is they are bottom five explosive plays. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks, we haven't had too many explosive plays. And I don't think you're going to 10-play, five-minute drive Memphis five times for touchdowns and beat them 35-28, something like that. You're going to need some some explosive plays against that, that defense, and that's what they've – Typically given up. How are they on turnovers, forcing turnovers? They have like seven interceptions. Um, it doesn't seem to be like a a major, major part of their their team. They're just always up a lot, so teams are throwing. Um, which that could be something that if you see can kind of get the ground game going, take that early punch that you know you would expect team to give at home on senior day with what's on the line and they can maybe as we like to flop it up um, you know keep it more even special teams wise their numbers are boosted by a ton of big returns but I was looking at their punter their punter has only punted 33 times this year And and he's averaging 46 yards a punt James, James Smith, who, who we know is a very good punter, month. who we know is a very good punter, is averaging forty-two point six yards a punt. So even their dang punter who never plays is having a heck of a year. 
So, you know, any way you slice it, whether Dez was 100% healthy or not, they are an equipped football team, and it's going to take a similar effort defensively to what we saw against UCF, I think. I mean, we're going to have to force multiple turnovers. That's how Temple beat them. Brady White played a disastrous first quarter of that game, and Temple got out to a big lead, and then then Memphis still almost came back and won. So the recipe is going to kind of have to be similar to what we saw against UCF. You're going to have to get to the quarterback. You're going to have to force turnovers. You're going to have to keep them out of the end zone when they get to the red zone. They're a big play team just like UCF is. So all those 50-50 balls, all those slight overthrows that we saw in that game, they're going to have to happen again. All right, well, I'll put you on the spot. It's time for the Trace Pound Toss. Prediction of the show. Trace Pountas, fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it, so you know your coffee is fresh. You can learn more about where your coffee originated by scanning the QR code found on every package to launch a Google Earth satellite image of the exact farm, the Race Family Farm, in Trace Pantas, Brazil, where this coffee was born before it started its journey to the United States. I never dropped that nugget before, Dave. That's new. <laughs> you can you can take yourself via your phone to the Race Family Farm. I'm going to have to try that. You can find out about Trace Pantas by going to www.tracepantas.com slash coffee. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. The coffee is roasted fresh, shipped out immediately. You can get 12-ounce bags in whole bean or ground. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. What you want to do when you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats. You'll select your subscription. Have it sent to your house every one, two, or four weeks. That's up to you. Enter Bearcats at checkout. You will save 20% off of every bag of coffee for the life of your subscription with that code. That's how you do it. Thanks to the folks at Trace Pantas. Go to tracepantas.com slash coffee. Dave, give me your prediction. Are you making well, two? Are you making two? Are we going to dual prediction this? A what prediction, other prediction am I making? Well, a prediction if Des Ritter starts, a prediction if Ben Bryant starts. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to predict that Ben Bryant starts. If you know, as I said earlier, that he, even with his lack of experience, gives them the best chance to win this game because of the heightened threat in the passing game that he will provide that Des just isn't able to do right now. Okay, then give me a Ben Bryant prediction. You mean a game prediction? Well, yeah. What's the prediction for the game with Ben Bryant? You say Ben's going to start? Come on, Dave. Keep uh, I picked Memphis to win this game at the beginning of the year. I have picked every game so far correctly. And due to just the uncertainty at the quarterback position, being on the road, 
game that Memphis has to has to win the game to keep their playoff hope. Not entirely true. If Houston beats Navy, Memphis wins. Well, the West either way. True. I'm I'm assuming maybe wrongly, but that game's Saturday, uh, so Memphis isn't going to know that answer. Right. So they're you know right. I just think it's a it's a big challenge for the Patriots in this game. And I'm going to go with Memphis, 38-17. My take on the QB situation, final take on it. Um, I want to think they do something bold and, and and give Ben Bryant the ball for this game. But what's your buddy Marvin Lewis always say? Yes, my, my best friend makes to say – he sees better than he hears. Luke Fickle is very loyal to Desmond Ritter for good reason. I think, you know, you can have whatever take you want, but Luke Fickle's quarterback uh, that has gotten Luke Fickle 21 wins in the last 24 games is Des Ritter. Uh, I will believe Ben Bryan is the starting quarterback when Ben Bryan is uh, announced as the starting quarterback on Friday. Um I'm with you, though. I think the defense does better than than giving up 38, even though uh, on the road that's going to be difficult. I do think Memphis gets into the 30s. I do think they win the game. Uh, We both predicted that this would be a game Memphis would win. We both felt at the beginning of the season that Memphis was was probably the most talented and the best team in the conference. Um, I think it's close but I don't think that has changed. I'm going to go 31-21 Memphis, and then these two teams will meet again for the conference championship December 7th at 3.30 back in Memphis. I don't love it. I'm not happy with maybe myself it'll be like, about maybe it. Maybe it'll be like Right. I'm not happy with myself about it, but... We, we try to be as accurate as humanly possible here on the BCJ podcast. It's got to be fair. you got to look at the things, you know, without bare fat colored glasses on. Sometimes it doesn't look right, and we very well could be very wrong. But, you know, be got to be real sometimes. I agree. I agree. Let's – um. Let's let's take a moment here. I, I'm we're gonna get Brent on the line, but we don't we don't play or coach either, so we don't really know what the heck we're talking about. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Well, before we let you go, we'll we'll get Brent opinion here as we bring him in to talk a little Bearcats basketball because God knows there's a lot to talk about there too. I think we just passed the ball to Valparaiso again. <laughs> Twenty-three turnovers. That's uh, that's a lot of turnovers. No, don't don't I thought it was, don't don't short them. I thought it was twenty-four. Was it twenty-four? Okay. Well, <laughs> I lost I lost count. Right. I I I went to public school in Kentucky. Counting to twenty-four is a lot. How about how about the guy that claims he counted to five thousand last week? Five thousand what? 
empty seats. He was counting the dots. Where? At Nippert Stadium on Go Bearcats. He was the tickets for sale. That's not exactly accurate. <laughs> no. Like because he argued, he, like, he argued with me later in the week that I counted how many seats were available. Like, I know people like to look at that and get to get an idea, but like, if you go on it at a certain time and a section is light blue, you can go on it three hours later and that same section is dark blue. It's not like a hundred percent accurate. Hey, how's it going, guys? What, what's your what's your Trace Pountas prediction for the final score of the Memphis game? Oh gosh, you're you're bringing me on, and that's the first question you ask. I'm hey, like, you want wow. you wanted you wanted you wanted a spot in the big show, right? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear welcome, you. I, welcome you to the bright lights. You told me bad but a Trace Pountas. Wow, uh, the bright lights. Trace you know what? I'm a. I'm kind of a little bit behind the eight ball because you guys are. Uh, you guys already laid your your guesses out we, there, and we, I. You weren't wow. on the line. We both predicted a Memphis win. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, all things considered, just the way that it's it's been down the stretch, I think for you Vegas fans out there, stay away. Stay away. It, it, the, the line is at a spot where. One side is, is really good. The other side is really good. You can bet on both sides. Um, if, I had to, if I had to pick, I'm not going to go exact score, but I would also side with Memphis as well. Um, in, well you in a close you're game not going to go exact score. Okay, let's go exact hey, score. Hey, oh, let's, man. Get this, get this guy out of here. Not exact let's score. Do, let's, do, oh. let's do uh, 35 to 27. All right. Dave. Memphis. Dave, we're giving him his first shot, and he tries to not go exact score on us? I don't know. I, just, I, I don't know. I think uh, one team might win. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was going to go with. I, I was going to say whichever team scores more points is the winner at the end. Because yeah, I'm not know. trying to burn any bridges, but I haven't seen a bill yet. Ask me around 630. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There'll probably still be like a quarter to go at 630. Yeah. Okay, speaking of that. Did it not seem like there was a TV timeout after every possession Saturday night? There was a lot. There was a lot. It, there was. It, it seemed way more than usual. It, it it seemed like Saturday was a very, very long game, to be honest with you. One of those that just dragged on, and then all for of a sudden it got fireworks there in the fourth. There was, was a team that didn't throw for 100 yards, and the game still almost took four hours. I know. That's what yeah. I couldn't understand. I'm like, no, no one's scoring. And no one's throwing the ball. Why is this game taking so long? <laughs> all right, we're at home. We're argue- all right. Go, go ahead. I was going to say, arguably, the best play was was a special teams play on an on an untimed down. That's how there's that's no how crazy the, uh, the game clock was. There's yeah, no but the the most exciting play. I like to throw it out there. Don't want to don't want to hurt feelings. First time on the pod. Oh look, <laughs> this if hurting feelings is your concern. I think this is probably the last time you're going to be on the box. <laughs> yeah. Nah, believe me. You'll you'll get some takes. You'll get some takes. No worries. All right, Dave. Thank you, sir. We still went. Thank you. We still went 50 minutes on football. I know. Huh? Yeah. All right, brother. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys will have plenty to talk about with you. 
Yeah, we might go another 50. So this is the uh, the Thanksgiving traveling. I'm driving to Memphis in my car for the football game edition of the BCJ podcast. That's right. Uh, you know, sometimes you just you just have to go long. But Dave, you have you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hey, the same same to you guys. And I'd Thank say you. that that I'll see you at Tafts on Friday, but you're not allowed in. No, you won't. And so I won't. <laughs> All right, brother. Be good. See you. See you, Dave. Well, that brings us finally to basketball. We had a lot to talk about on football. We and you, you know, between Dave and I, we can get a little long-winded. Right. So um, mm-hmm. it's time to move to basketball. Not a lot to talk about on the basketball side. Uh, the team went two and yeah. one in the Virgin Islands. Uh, they won one game at the buzzer against Illinois State. They lost in overtime to Bowling Green, where they blew a ten point lead in the final four minutes, final three minutes, basically. Uh, and then Monday night, they were able to hang on and outlast Valparaiso <coughs> without Jaron Cumberland. Once again, in overtime, 81 to 77 was the final score. Uh, Brent, welcome in, yeah. by the way, Brent Young. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Chef. Ut- utility man extraordinaire for Bearcat Journal right now. <laughs> Um, if you, uh, if you're interested in taking any of Brent's jobs off of his hands, uh, send me a private message. Uh, he's, he's doing everything right now. <laughs> um, what was your overall takeaway from what we saw out of Cincinnati in the Virgin Islands? Uh, once again, your first question, your first real question as a guest on the podcast, and I'm just throwing you in the fire, not I'm not putting you by the fire. I'm tossing right. you in the fire. Give me your takeaway yeah. from the Paradise Jam in the Virgin Islands. Well, uh, first things first, thanks for having me on, Chad. Always love being a part of the BCJ family. But second off, I, I feel like the, the basketball team kind of kind of viewed it as, hey, this is a, a chance for us to see the, the football team is really bringing those nail-biting, very, very tense, <laughs> very – stay close to your screen on the edge of your seat performances. We might as well match them on the basketball side. But, you know, I, I tweeted it last night in the game during against Valpo. And, you know, Aaron Gordon, a, a Cathedral alum high school that I went to here in Indianapolis, hadn't, hadn't shot, hit a three all season. And there he is. He rises up, knocks down a three to send it to overtime. And I just said I felt like I was in, like, an alternate universe type feel to it. It was one of those crazy – weird feeling the entire tournament was where you know you're sitting there watching it on flow hoops which i'm sure you have your point of views on that i have my heavy point of views on that but you know it, it just felt really weird really strange the whole jaron cumberland situation throughout the entire tournament i you know coming away with it though i i think even though they they did lose that game to bowling green the game that they should have won i think you got to Go back to what Coach John Brandon talks about from day one, and that's, you know, divorcing yourself away from the outcome and, and marrying the process. And I've, I've continuously said that in the stories and the writers that I've done as far as the basketball previews. And uh, there's no better teacher than, than going through adverse situations. And I think all throughout this tournament, you saw it happen, of course, against Illinois State with the comeback. Bowling Green, 
is is a a meltdown of of proportions that are comparable to some in recent history. And it was just tough watching that game and watching the missed free throws, watching the turnovers against Valpo. But a lot of teaching points in that. And a lot of young players got minutes. You know, you saw Zach Harvey log 27 minutes last night. Mike Adams-Woods, obviously, with his monster performance in that victory against Valpo. I I think you got to look more at the, the teaching side of things than oh, wow, we didn't win the tournament. We should have won the tournament. The highest-rated Ken Palm team coming into it. Sure, you can touch on all of that, but in the same sense, you got to look at it and say, you know, there's a lot of things to grow on, and a lot of the young players got really old in four days. I, I think in the end, it's going to only be a help to the team, but, of course, it hurts. It hurts a lot coming away with that loss to Bowling Green, who actually is a really, really good team. They've got some big-time players. Yeah, I – Let's talk about the, the Jaron Cumberland thing, and I, I think you're pretty on point uh, with all of that. I, not not really anything that jumped out that I that I take exception with. Um, Jaron Cumberland in the first half against Bowling Green took a, a spill uh, and then got back up and looked like he uh, hit the the spot where he had gone down, uh, which the mm-hmm. floor would have been wet at that point. Took another spill um, that. You could see, and, and Mo Egger had a uh, a great line on his radio show today that I'm going to steal. He said, from there mm-hmm. on, uh, while while Jaron was in the game, he looked like uh, when I got out, get out of bed in the morning. Right. And you, you're walking yeah, for the first time, and your bones are, I mean, you're in your 20s. You don't know how this feels uh, quite yet. <laughs> but you get out of bed, right. and you're just kind of like, oh, everything's a little tight. You got to loosen up. Um, and, and I think what happened there is John Brannon saw an opportunity where Cincinnati was pretty much in control for 37 minutes of that game. Mm-hmm. And the young guys were playing well. Uh, Bowling Green had made a little bit of a comeback, and then they pushed it back out to double digits. And I think Brandon is is feeling like at that point, you know what? This is an opportunity for me, one, to get these guys some experience, and two, to rest Jaron for tomorrow for the championship game. Let's not put him back out there. Let's not risk it. Um, and ultimately, it backfired. And then, you know, the confusing part at the time, putting Jaron back in, he explained afterwards that, you know, Jaron – wanted to come in and, and, and try to quote-unquote save the day. Uh, you could tell he still wasn't right. Uh, he moved better than I expected. But a lot of that is, you know, you get back in, and, and he moved better on offense when he had the ball in his hand. But then when you watched him backpedaling and, and trying to, to do what he needed to do on defense, you could tell he was hurting. Uh, but he gutted it out, and then – the determination was to, you know, to sit him uh, from what has been said. He did not go through the walkthrough yesterday um, and, and was not ready to play on Monday night. And what we've learned so far is that without their All-American, this team's not great. Shocker. I know that's a shocking development. Um, but... He played two games. He sat a game. He played one game. 
He played half of the next game and then sat another game. We have not seen Jaron Cumberland really be able to get into a rhythm. Um, and, and I think it's easy to question a lot of this stuff. I don't see any reason the way that it played out. I don't see any reason not to take John Brandon at face value for the way he, that, that he described it. And he praised Jaron for coming to him and trying to get back into the game. Um, and ultimately, that respect for him put Jaron back into the game. It would have been very easy to be stubborn at that point and say, look, you know, you're you're stiff. You haven't been in the game. You're sitting out the rest of the way. We're saving you for tomorrow night. But that's, you know, I think the two of them are working closer to get where they need to be. Uh, the thing that really stood out to me, though, Brent, Right now, this team doesn't look like it's having any fun. Yeah, yeah. The, the coach, you know what that? Uh, yeah, good. The, the coach doesn't look like he's having any fun. There were pictures of him mm-hmm. sitting on the bench with just a blank stare. The players don't look like they're having any fun. I think the burden of the first six games and and not knowing the, the full system yet, playing with with Jaron out of the lineup playing with Javen Cumberland on uh, Monday or on, on Friday, he gets hurt in that first game. Looks like that's going to be a significant injury throws the game plan for that game out the window. Like there's just been on top of everything that goes along with a new system, a new coach, a new culture on top of that, you're dealing with injuries. Um, you're dealing with stuff that it makes everything stressful and when everything's stressful you don't have a whole lot of fun and like i said brent this team doesn't look like it's having a lot of fun yet no i i picked up on that completely and i think i think one player that you know i i kind of saw a little bit of that in especially during the bowling green game was was keith williams uh you know he's he's a player that obviously is athletic ability out the roof but it, it kind of seemed like he was getting frustrated and and he's, he's a little mild-mannered himself, but it just seemed as if he wasn't really fully in it. You talked about, you know, Coach Brandon, obviously. And, and, and all we've heard about him coming in is during games, he's a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved, lets, lets the team go out and do everything that they want to do and kind of figure it out themselves And then because he, he teaches them in practice. And, but during the entire tournament, I saw him up and loud and, and, and really kind of kind of getting on the officials and, and on top of other things and – it kind of wasn't what I was expecting of a, of a John Brandon during a game and not really what we saw in the Ohio State game at times and other games during the early part of the season. It kind of seemed, as you mentioned, that just like everyone was trying to still figure things out. And, and once the Illinois State game was a little bit too close for comfort and had to have a big comeback in that, I don't know if that kind of kind of ruffled everyone and made them a little bit more alert as, as if it's going to be tough down the stretch these other two games. And then all of a sudden – the Bowling Green game happened, and, and it just raises the anxiety and, and kind of takes away the confidence of the team. And I think you saw a team that was not extremely confident either. And, and when you lose your confidence, that you lose your fun and you lose the, the happiness of being out there and being together. But, you know, it, it's something, as you mentioned, with the new coach, the new system, new players implemented. You've got injuries galore. You've got different rotations, different lineups. It's It's – it's going to be strange for a while. And you know, I think the, the best thing that they did was they were able to figure it out and, and call out two victories. Sure, they were against some, you know, Missouri Valley Conference teams, but 
you know, victories are victories. And at, at this point, you they figured out a way to win. And for that, I agree. There's There was something off during that, which was another thing, you know, the last time that we saw a flow sports game was, was at the Cayman Islands Classic. And we were able to see, you know, a, a team that we knew was going to be able to get wins, even if they had to grind them out. A, a, a team, you know, laden with, with seniors and a really good basketball team, obviously a top 25 ranked, one of the best in the past 13 plus years. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a long process. And I think when you saw the team kind of getting frustrated with each other, I saw Chris Vogt point a couple of times, trying to, trying to show Keith Williams where to go. He, he said, you know, you should have cut on that one and, and kind of talking with him and, and Javen Cumberland talking with Mamadou Diara during another, another call saying, you should have set a screen here on this play, you know, kind of just things like that. I, I think the show trying to figure out how to mesh and, yeah, I mean it's it's tough seeing that that difficult games that they had over you know out of state. So now they come home, they play against UNLV. So I think that that's going to be able to kind of right the ship in the right direction. I think a big win and being able to to pull it out in overtime. And I think that's really going to pay bigger dividends than we could think when they were able to pull out that victory in the last one against Valpo. Here's another thing I want to bring up. Um... Yeah. John Brandon has talked about at different points when we've had the opportunity to do media sessions, how much of the offense is in, you know, leading up through the first three games, the answer was 30% of the offense is in. Right. Leading at the Cayman Islands, the, the answer is the offense is in. So what's that tell you, Brent? <laughs> that- uh, execution is not. Well, but why? So let's let's break it down. Let's talk about it. Right. If up to the first, you know, up to Ohio State, and then you've got three games in however many days, that was three games in 10 days or whatever it was. Um, yep. You're not installing much there. So then you have a week off before you go to the Cayman Islands where you do a bunch of installation. Hypothetically, according to John Brannon, 70% of the offense installed in that week. You think they have that offense down yet? They're thinking. No. no. So right. so why does it look so good? And this is what people are asking. Why did it look so, you know, even though they lost to Ohio State, that was very positive. And then they right. looked really good against Drake. They had been working right. on that 30% all summer. And the, that yeah. 30%, if you watch, that 30% is the basics. And then right. the 70% is the counteractions and the additions. And when we get to this point in the offense, we can go into this. And when we get to this point in the offense, we can go into that. That's the stuff that was installed in that second week. So if you wonder why this team looks so good at the beginning and then look like you know, a deer in headlights at time in the Cayman Islands or in the Virgin Islands, sorry. Yeah. They installed a huge section of the offense in that week off. And now they've got it on tape. And now they get to come home. They got home. I like three, four o'clock today. Uh, get sleep today. Get back at it tomorrow. And start going over the tape. Where did where did this go wrong? Where did that go wrong? Why were they able to you know and I and I especially from 
Bowling Green, I thought they did a great job understanding what the, the basics of John's offense were and taking a lot of that away. Mm-hmm. Now you have that on tape. Let's get into the tape. Why were they able to take this action away? What's the counter when somebody does this? What's the counter when somebody does that? And that's when this offense really starts to grow. And we haven't gotten to that point yet. And we're just now getting there. So I think that hasn't been talked about. And I think that's an important part of why we saw things maybe look a little bit. The The initial feeling is it looks like they regressed. When it's not that they regressed, yeah. it's that they added 70% of the offense in that week. And, and not everybody's comfortable with it yet. I think that's an important conversation to be had. Yeah, definitely. I, and you see in the Drake game and the Alabama A&M game, at, at times there were little spells where it seemed like, you know, they kind of went flat and the offense, you know, whether it was missed shots or, or missed assignments, things of that sort, where they kind of missed it. And, and that's probably where the 70% added that, you know, Coach Brand was talking about. It, it kind of counteracts when you have these spells. Well, then that's when you can go to this as a secondary option and this as the third option along those lines. But, you know, another thing that coach mentioned was also the fact that, you know, when, when you're thinking too hard on the offensive end, it kind of takes away from you defensively. And I mean, when you give up 91 points and I know it's in overtime, in and then, minutes, the 62 points in 25 minutes, yeah. bro, 62 points in oh, 25 it, minutes. I know, I know a coach that would lose his mind. I, I, I don't even want to think what the, what this coach I'm thinking of would, would be thinking if, if that happened when he was coaching. But anyway, I digress. Chad, involved with that, those three games that they played there in the Virgin Islands featured three scores that absolutely went off against the defense. And I, and I think it's something that Cincinnati really needs to, to touch on and, and make sure they key in on, on the key guys. I mean, you look at Dedrick Boyd for Illinois State. He had 19 points in that loss. Uh, Justin Turner goes down with that injury, doesn't play most they of all. They did a good job on half. Turner. Before they did. They did, but right. But then Dylan Fry, who is their second best scorer, and then all of a sudden moves into that leading scorer role, finished with twenty eight points, and and a lot of those were on like drives and and backdoor cuts where he was able to find an opening, an easy lay in, and then some open three corners as well. And then of course last night, Javon Freeman Liberty, who's a stud, finished with thirty two. I you know so it's it's something that that they might have to key in a little bit is just knowing hey. Listen, Boyd, Freeman, Liberty got got a key in on these players defensively because I mean those are some big numbers put up against the defense. And you you look at the Ken Palm, and obviously I don't know how how much anyone follows Ken Palm out there, but it's it's normally pretty doggone close when it comes to projections as far as scores and different things of that sort. And the rest of the way, he's only got one other game that that would get to eighty for the opposition for the Bearcats, and and that's you know against Memphis on the road. So. I, Giving up that many points is kind of it plays with your thought as far as you know, the offense. They they throw in seventy percent additional of the offensive side. Now all of a sudden, when you're thinking that hard on offense and you get down on yourself a little bit for missed shots and missed executions and things of that sort, it reflects on the defensive end. And I think that's what you saw as far as the Bowling Green comeback for them, and then of course the the Valparaiso comeback with with the turnovers and things of that sort. I, I think the offense leading to defense goes both ways. It, it can help you, and it can also hurt you. And in this way, over down the Virgin Islands, it definitely hurt them at certain times. All right, let's talk about something positive. Let's hear it. 
the biggest positive through six games, and I, yeah. I I'll eat it. I would have I would have <laughs> I would have lost this bet a million times out of a million. I did not yeah. know how he was going to translate to this level. If he translated to this level, I thought it was going to take quite a while. Right. This team's best player has been Chris Vogt. I know. It's wild. I and you know, so when he committed to Cincinnati, you know, through the transfer portal and everything, and got that's what killed, I killed by the way, by everybody. He did. He did. He did. But uh, if, if you're smart, you would decide to go and you will watch some tape and you will you will read up a little bit before you jump to conclusions. And you know, at times, of course, he honestly in high school he looked scrawny. But what I noticed was he went to dunk everything. He was pretty automatic from like you know five feet in end, and he was legit seven seven feet seven foot one now, and he just showed it around the rim. And you know you you put him in the monster factory, and all of a sudden I thought, of course, he's going to have to sit out a year. He's going to just get monstrous and then have a have a big final two seasons. But he he was granted that eligibility immediately, and then all of a sudden I it was kind of one of those all right, let's toss him in and. I see him in person for the first time, and I'm like, wow, he is, he's put on some weight. He looks strong. He looks like a, a legit seven-foot-one big and not, you know, just a seven-foot kind of scrawny needs to fill out the body type guy, and, and he's been phenomenal. The thing I didn't know he had was the touch around the rim. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he yeah. gets the ball up there soft, and it, it – you're an Indiana guy, so you'll appreciate this. I don't know if I've made this comparison to you or not. Okay. It reminds me of a, like, <laughs> a distant cousin of the Plumley family. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and why I say that is um, the Plumleys were all very good in college, and this is not a knock, but the Plumleys always felt like they looked kind of mechanical. And, and if you know the story, and, and Brent yeah. knows the story, the Plumleys and the Zellers came through Indiana at the same time. Um, yep. and, and there was always a comparison between, because there were three brothers, they were all seven foot, like they were all big-time college basketball players. The Zellers were kind of the athletes. Um, they moved naturally. They got up and down the floor. They could shoot the three. You know, they, they were they – were, like modern, uh, the, you know, the, the coming of the modern version of where basketball was going. The Plumleys were bigger. They were more physical. And at times, even though they were effective, they looked a little robotic in how they were doing things. And I think Vote looks like that at times. Yeah. But he gets to his spots. He gets the ball softly on the rim. And he mm -hmm. makes plays. And, and and he just reminds me of a Plumley. Um, you you were around all that uh, growing up, but your take? Am I off base on that? No, I I think definitely a Miles Plumley. Miles Plumley. I, I mean, obviously, you're not going to compare him to Mason Plumley, who has a little bit more athleticism, I would yeah. say, than than Chris has. But yeah, def, definitely Miles Plumley. Who you know, if you remember him at Duke, he. You know, by his, his junior and senior year, he he was almost automatic when he got the ball within, you know, six feet and in. And uh, that's just because fluid. they had it touch. Look, it didn't look. No, it, no, it didn't. But he got yeah. there. And, but it, it, he did. But another thing, Chad, is, you know, you've been at practice more than I have this 
season when you when you've been allowed to. No, but uh, you know, it's right, right. It kind of seems you know from from videos and practice, it seems like they focus so much on the bigs catching the ball right near the basket and just finishing on those easy, you know, just knocking down at least eighty percent or more from just right within five, you know, seven to five feet and. It, it seems like that what that's what Chris Mode has got completely gotten down, and you saw that with the Miles Plumley, even even Marshall Plumley as well was like that underneath. And you know, I don't think we're going to see Chris step out and shoot the three at all. He he never even looks towards the basket no. when he's outside of the perimeter. But you know, it, it's one of those where he know, he understands where he needs to be. It, there are set plays that seem like they, it's get the ball down low, and you immediately go to score. So when when he catches it. He's not thinking about, you know, okay, I need to do this or I need to do that. He's immediately thinking, okay, I know I'm in this position and I want to be able to turn either to my left side or my right side and the basket's going to be right there. And, I, you know, I think that's part of the system that Coach Brand is putting in. And, and it's, it's really evident that he is bought in completely because he's been in the right place at the right time numerous times. And, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. He, he does look a lot like Miles, similar build too, really just big, just a, a strong body. And, and you really got to tip your cap to, you know, to Mike Rayfeld as well, just making Chris Vogt into an absolute beast down low. Right? He filled out really, really well since he's got on campus. And he's, he's done a fantastic job right near the basket. And I also like when, when he's close enough and he, he has the ability to, he, he goes up and he dunks it. He, he has, leaves no doubt when he's right there. And, and no one's really in front of him. And I think he's done a fantastic job. The other positive uh, to take away, I think, from the Virgin Islands uh, long term is yeah. what we saw from the three freshmen, especially with Jaron out against Valpo. Micah Adams-Woods mm-hmm. was absolutely clutch down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, he was mm-hmm. called on with with Chris, or Chris McNeil struggling from the free throw line. Well documented, um, in the in the Bowling Green game, John Brandon went to Micah Adams Woods in the clutch of the Valpo game. It paid off. They even went one four flat for him, down one with a minute yeah. left in overtime. That was surprising. <laughs> I was not expecting that. They came no, out with one no. four flat with Micah Adams Woods dribbling at the top of the key. I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. He comes off the screen, goes right downhill to the rim, lays it in, gives Cincinnati the lead for good. Uh, Zach Harvey, we haven't seen him really incorporate his perimeter game yet, but he's playing solid defense. He's attacking and playing downhill. Uh, If you look at the numbers, he didn't didn't technically take a shot against Valpo, but he was getting fouled. He was getting to the line. uh, very positive developments from him. And then from the start, uh, you've seen Jeremiah Davenport can uh, can be a guy that, that makes a difference. And I, I, there are people now that are jumping on my, uh, my comparison of him playing with the energy of Justin Jackson. And yeah. you've seen that multiple times yeah. from him. And I think coming out of these three games, all three of these guys still have a long way to go. But I think you feel much better, not only about this season with them in the fold, but the future of UC basketball with those three guys as key guys in the beginning of the John Brandon era. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, but first, I got to ask you a question. If, 
if you were told Cincinnati is down by one in overtime with a minute left and, and they run the 1-4 flat, how, how many guesses are you getting to before you guess that it's Mike Adams-Woods with the ball in his hand? Okay, so Jaron Cumberland, but he was out. Javon Cumberland, Keith Williams, um, Chris McNeil. Um, I mean, I guess there. I guess like five, six. Right. You know, around there. Yeah. Around exactly. like I, but, I think I, I think I would pick Micah before I would pick Jeremiah Davenport to be the guy with mm-hmm. the ball at the top in a one four flat set. Um right. but pretty much out outside of Trevor Moore, who's not a ball handler, uh pretty much everyone mm-hmm. else that is under six six <laughs> I probably would have taken Harvey. <laughs> Uh, before yesterday, mm-hmm. I probably would have taken Harvey in that situation because he has shown an ability uh, to play downhill and attack the rim. Um, but yeah, he would have been he would have been right, you know, pretty much right before we got to the big men. Maybe maybe Trey yeah. Scott. Would you would you take Trey Scott uh, before <laughs> that happened? Would you take Trey Scott with the ball in his hands, coming off the pick and roll in a one four set? Maybe, maybe yeah, not for sure, yeah. but maybe. <laughs> he would, I mean, that's the crazy thing to think. Yeah, that it shows incredible confidence from John uh, to to put him in that situation, and shows right. that that he's got an opportunity to be a really good player here at Cincinnati. He can hit the three. He's good with the ball in his hands. As soon as he starts to slow down and and learns to take a little bit care of the better care of the basketball. They've got a good yeah. one, I think, in Mike Adams-Woods. Yeah, I think I think what Coach Brandon also saw was, you know, that little five-point sequence, no, six-point sequence that he had with, with the end one, and then he follows that up with, with a really confident three-point shot out of the inbounds where you know, he, he kind of set up on the outside, had a little space, and just shot it. And, uh, you know, when you see that confidence, and then a really big play a little bit later was when he, he was able to, to, you know, get the cookies out of the jar steal the ball, take it coast to coast, get a nice acrobatic land. I I think that's when, when Brandon kind of saw, okay, I, if it gets to it, I've got the confidence in Adams Woods that he can make this play down the stretch, or at least we give him a chance to see what he can do with it. And I mean, it, it, it was awesome to see him kind of just like grow in our eyes. And you know, we saw him obviously coming into the Drake game and he had, had some bright spots in that game. But I think this is really a chance where, where he built his confidence. And, and for a young player, just, just building confidence is huge. And I think that's, you know, as you mentioned, Zach Harvey as well. I think uh, that's all that this trip did down to Virgin Islands for him was just build his confidence. And he didn't really score too much, but he was in the basketball game. Played 27 minutes against Balpo in, in a highly heated game that, you know, was kind of, I, I hate to look so far forward to, you know, a few, you know, a few months down the line, but, but that's a giant game that you have to pull out. You have to somehow win that basketball game. And he was in every minute down the stretch that was important. And, you know, he had a lot of assists. It just showed his IQ and the scoring will come with that confidence that he's been able to build. And I'm, I'm completely on board with the, with the Davenport you know, mentioned comparing him to jumping Jack. And he, he just has that, that intensity to him where, where sometimes he gets a little bit too overzealous and you're like, calm down, calm down. Yeah. Don't want you to pick up a, a little taunty technical, not one that you deserve, but one that they do like hand out like candy. But I definitely saw glimpses from him that shows, Hey, he's got confidence that that's unmatched. And he, sometimes he takes some ill advised shots and, and sometimes he, you know, is a little bit too 
too up and at him, but I, it, it's there for him to really take over and try and be kind of just that energizer bunny off the bench, kind of like Jumbie Jeff was his freshman season. So, you know, th- this trip was huge for those young freshmen. They all played big minutes, and they all performed when we called upon. And, and as you mentioned, not only did that bode well for the rest of the season, but that bodes well for the rest of their careers, just having the ability where – you know, we're only through six games, and they've already had the, the experience through adverse situations. And also, building on top, they've been able to build a little bit of confidence so early in their career. As I look at my TV right now, Dayton up 47-31 to 31 on Virginia Tech in the Maui Invitational. A Dayton team that Cincinnati essentially tied in their uh, super-secret scrimmage. That's, that's just what yep. I want people to remember. Yes, this was a tough stretch in the Virgin Islands. But right. Cincinnati played right with Dayton in a in a top secret undisclosed scrimmage that didn't happen. Yep. They gave Ohio State fits. They beat yep. a very good Drake team soundly. Yes, there was a step back in the Virgin Islands. But this is a long process. And we have seen the pieces are there. And once everything starts to click, this team is going to be fine. Are they there yet? Absolutely not. Will they get there? That's no. the hope. We can't say they're going to get there for sure. But there are plenty of signs that they have the talent and the opportunity to get there. So that's where we're at. You got anything else to add? If before we uh, we end your debut performance, your maiden voyage <laughs> on the first BCJ podcast of your career. <laughs> no, I you know honestly just been been loving the uh, the opportunity to to just be fully enthralled with the with the BCJ family. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know. You guys are great on the board. No, Keep I it up. I don't want you to Keep kiss up. my ass here. I'm talking about the basketball team. What well, do you well, got on the basketball the team? I was just in the board. Not yours. The All board. Right, fine. But anyway, back, back <laughs> to the basketball team. I, you, know, you know, my my main thing is this. You've got a, a player that everyone oh, by the was way, pinning sorry, as. Sorry, what's sorry, that? Sorry, Dan. I said a bad word. I got to say sorry, Dan, when I say a bad word. Oh, yeah, exactly. I held back, but I'll still say sorry, Dan, because I love that movement. Anyway, back to it. I. You've got a player on your team that that was pinned as an All-American candidate. Some people had him even as high as you know first-team All-American. He was named the the AAC Conference Player of the Year preseason, and he has yet to get going. I it just it just continues to kind of boggle my mind where you know we're we're this far and we're talking about all these different players, and we've got one of the top scorers in in program history that has yet to get going in his senior year. You know it. As you mentioned, it's it's so early in the process. It's it's an opportunity for this team to continue to grow and then implement back Jaron Cumberland. And when when all pieces are there, who knows? Will will it all fit? Will it all mesh? We don't know. A monster December coming up, but a big game against UNLV to just kind of find their footing, getting back home. And you know, I think that's there's no better team to do that against than than a team that has a a knowledgeable, a, a known name across the chest, but kind of a, a roster that you can really 
kind of hone in on your own self and, and focus on taking them down and also building your team as a whole. So I think overall, Jared's coming in back into the mix. I'm excited to see how everything evolves from here because tough stretch, but a lot to learn. I think they grew up a lot, a lot down the Virgin Islands. It's going to be an exciting next couple of weeks. All right. Well, thanks to Dave Simone for, uh, for making time for us and his busy new family holiday uh, extravaganza that he's experiencing for the first time. All the parents out there understand it's hell. It's absolutely hell. It's worse at Christmas because you have to take them okay. everywhere. You got aunt like you got to go here, and you got you got both sides of the family, and you got to stop at this place. You got to stop at that place. It is an absolute nightmare. Thanksgiving is not as bad, but you still you got to hit both sides, and you can't like you know. It, before you had kids, you can kind of cut it short if you wanted to, or you can just get loaded and not really worry about <laughs> it. Once you got a kid, especially right. a, a tiny one, you know, you got to worry about you getting it, getting it fed and getting it sleep, diaper changes and it bouncing around all the different places. I know Dave's family lives up in Springfield. Like it's mm-hmm. hell. Her fa- I think his wife's family lives in Michigan or something. It's an absolute oh, nightmare. So, kudos to Dave for making some time for us. And thanks to you as well for uh, <laughs> for joining, even though we you were supposed to be on at 30, you ended up on at 45, and we talked football until 50. Now we're at an hour and 25, 26 minutes for this thing. But, you know, it is what it is. Thanks to everybody for listening to this jumbo edition of the BCJ podcast. Brent Young, you're a good man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we will see everybody Friday at 3.30, Taft's Brewporium, the last regular season game for the Bearcats before the AAC championship game next week. And then we'll see everybody Saturday, 7 p.m. at Fifth Third Arena as the Bearcats take on UNLV. He was Dave Simone. He's no longer Dave Simone. He's not with us anymore on the podcast. He's Brent Young. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.